And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, and today we're going to discuss the state of the pro-life movement and the National Organization of Women versus Scheidler. I have with me as my guest one of my heroes, uh, Joe Scheidler, who has been in the fight and is known as uh, the father of pro-life action. And today we'll be talking about his new book, which really chronicles the last 39 years of his life. I'm an attorney and a partner with the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, not-for-profit administration to religious freedom. You can find out more about us by going to MalkBaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Or call us at 312-726-1243. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on the developments of faith and the law. Today, our guest is Mr. Joseph Scheidler of National Director for the Pro-Life Action League, a national pro-life educational and activist organization headquartered in Chicago. As I said, it's a great honor, Joe, to have you on this show. Um, you, are, you are known as the father of pro-life activism, uh, but as I look at you, you look like a very gentle, actually now a grandfather. Right. And, and uh, so how on earth did you get involved in, in activism? Original, uh, long story, it's actually 43 years now since Roe v. Wade. And when I read the decision, Roe v. Wade, Dovey Bolton, I was, I was working as an account executive for a public relations firm in Chicago. Let me interrupt you. For, for those younger listeners, Roe v. Wade was the 1973 abortion decision which legalized abortion all over the U.S. Right. And essentially with Doe v. Bolton, it made abortion uh, available all the way up until birth. Right. And so many people only read Roe v. Wade. They only hear about Roe v. Wade. And that doesn't give the parameters. You have to read Dovey Bolton, and it's actually in a footnote, that abortion is legal and available up to and including the day of the birth of the child. And people say, well, that's been rescinded, and so it hasn't. A woman can still get an abortion any time in her pregnancy for any reason or virtually no reason. Well, Joe, let's go back. So you were... You were not involved in politics or activism. You were you had a nine to five job. Right. What happened? Well, I read the decision and I thought we can't. This country is losing everything it stands for. The value of human life, liberty, you know, all the things that were guaranteed were taken away from a whole class of people. The unborn, a class we all belong to at one time. You and I were unborn, but we were us. We were the people we are. Life begins at conception, at the moment of fertilization. Well, a new life exists. You and the medical uh, books would all agree with that. Absolutely. Our politicians don't seem to see it that way. Well, they, they play games. They play games with the truth, and they, they bring in uh, emotion, and they bring in all kinds of, of uh, diversions. 
that will say, well, a woman's going to have an abortion anyway. She'll go to a back alley, so let's make it legal and it'll be clean and so on, which is not particularly true. But anyway, the, um, the value of life is so important. What, what do we have, really? What's a whole universe compared to a living human being? I mean, this living human being has a, a soul, a mind, a, 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 that's going to last forever. And we have treated it like trash. Abortions, a hundred and one and a half million abortions a year, over almost 60 million legal abortions in this country since 1973. If I understand it, we are one of three countries in the whole world that has the most liberal abortion policies. That's right. That's right. Uh, China China's and, the other one, and, uh, and uh, I'm not sure of the third. North Korea. North Korea. So, yeah. so we're right up there with China and North Korea. Right. You go to Europe, they, abortions stop. In France, they stop at 12 weeks. In England, I think 20. You know, it's somewhere. It's bad, but it isn't up to the day of birth. But as we know from the, the pictures we have and, and now the, the uh, videos that are coming up from David Daleiden where they're saving body parts of the babies to sell them, to scientists and so on, uh, we know that abortion is legal up till the day of birth of the baby. Joe, you mentioned something that, that a lot of people don't connect. They don't connect the loss of liberty with the right of abortion. Why do you say that's true? Well, the abortion, it, it's so easy and it, uh, it's so available that many women don't really consider it. That's one reason we have to be out in front of the clinics to, to get them to think about it. Some women, I know one woman had 22 abortions. You know, she's not thinking about it. She's not really uh, uh, laboring over what she has. Here's, here's my daughter who can't seem to have a baby. She's lost two babies. She's dying to have a baby, and yet we stand out in front of the abortion clinics and women with probably perfectly healthy babies are going in there to have them dismembered and discarded. Uh, a woman thinks that she has this right, but then she has the rest of her life to suffer with it. Let me interrupt you for one second. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker from the law firm of Malk and Baker, and we're speaking with Joe Scheidler of the Pro-Life Action League. Joe, tell me a little bit about Pro-Life Action League. Started uh, 40-some years ago? Well, we, we started, uh, Rich, uh, I just started from my home. I put up an office in the basement. I was working, to, as I say, as an account executive. My boss was real with me. He saw that I got so involved in the abortion issue, that's all I was interested in. So they kept me on payroll, uh, and I got my insurance and everything until my daughter was born. Um, but let me work. Let me get uh, her life actually or at least the pro-life movement started. I didn't call it Pro-Life Action League right at the beginning. I called it the Chicago Office for Pro-Life Publicity because my idea was to educate. That was the main goal. And, and as you mentioned, you know, an educational organization. But then activism. We had to go out. Part of the education was going to the abortion clinics, talking to the women, meeting with the abortion doctors, uh, having the doctors that had done abortions and then converted, come to Chicago and we had uh, meetings with, with uh, five different meetings with former abortionists. And we put out a video, Meet the Abortion Providers and another abortion, The Inside Story. Uh, let me ask you this just really quickly. I haven't seen that myself. How would we get a hold of that? 
particular um, video? Well, just contact us at prolifeaction.org. Okay. And we've got the videos. We've got uh, books. We've got, I've just written a book now, a Racketeer for Life, which will be coming out this fall, uh, that tells pretty much the story of pro-life activism, uh, how we gathered across the country in a group called PLAN, Pro-Life Action Network, uh, where we worked with other pro-life activist groups. In fact, uh, we're, we still meet, and uh, my son Eric is taking over much of the work now since uh, he's he's young and active, and and uh, I'm 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 still at the office and still out on the street and still doing radio talk shows, <laughs> but uh, I'm getting up there. Yeah, Joe, I have no idea how old are you. I'll be 89 next month. Uh, for the listeners out there, I'm sitting across from Joe. I would have never guessed he's 89 years old. 89. May I look like you when I'm 89. Um, I'm going to get into the book that you've just written. But before we do that, tell me a little bit more about going out on the streets. What kind of, what kind of activism do you do? Some people, and I, and I raise this for a reason, you've been criticized for the activism because it's very bold and very direct and you are confronting people who may be of a different opinion than you are. So tell us about that activism. What do they do? Well, just last week, for instance, um, we went out to an abortion clinic that's just opening on Milwaukee Avenue. And uh, we uh, got petitions up. We went around to all the businesses. And we said we uh, had them say, we don't want an abortion clinic in our neighborhood. And uh, we, we went into the offices and got the, that sign. Then we went out to the clinic and... Oddly enough, the owner of the abortion clinic was just coming out. So we had a, at least a half-hour talk with her, and she justified doing abortions. And we, we talked a very friendly uh, conversation about why you're taking a human life, which, which is, is wrong. And then we heard all her excuses, which the abortionists always use. Um, that would be one thing, to get up petitions, to close a clinic, to be at the clinic, to picket abortion clinics, to stand out there and talk to the women. When I talked with Justice Antonin Scalia, when he was in town, they were the, we were having a bubble zone problem, where you're not allowed to be within 50 feet of a woman who doesn't want to talk to you. And um, he didn't understand that we have to have close contact, be next to the people going in so we can talk to them about the abortion. Uh, he said, well, a bubble zone won't bother your protest. No, you can, you can protest 50 feet away from the entrance to the clinic, but you can't counsel. And sidewalk counseling is one of the main things we do. So, so in, in Illinois or uh, federal law today, are we still under a bubble zone? In Chicago, just in Chicago. And the first time the bubble zone came up, uh, Mayor Daley, the younger, I said, we don't need a bubble zone in Chicago. The next time it came up, he said, okay, so we have a 50-foot bubble zone and a six-foot uh, zone from the woman, if she, if she doesn't want to talk to you. But how do you know if she wants right, to talk to you right. unless you go up and ask her? The bubble zone doesn't appear until she says, I don't want to talk to you. And then, then there's a bubble zone. Then, you. And then magically you have to be 50 magically feet away or something like you, that, right? Yeah, you, okay. you, you um, uh, float away for 50 feet. <laughs> I don't it, know. It's I, crazy. I, it is crazy. Nobody and, understands it, including the police. Right. I'm sure that's very, very hard. To, yeah. so, so I would imagine in your career you've been arrested by the police more than once. I've been, uh, I can't know how many times I've arrested. I've been in jail, I think, 12 times. 
I was in jail in Denver and New York and different places around the country. Coming up, we will be talking further with Joe Scheidler about the state of the pro-life movement and his activities over the last 43 years. I'm Rich Baker of Malkin Baker, and you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, partner in the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with Joe Scheidler, the Pro-Life Action League, a national pro-life educational activist organization. Joe, in the first segment, we had talked a little bit about your background. You've just written a book. Tell us a little bit about the book that's coming out. I, when's it coming out? October, is it? October, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this book. Well, it's a, a memoir. It's, a, it's pretty much the history of the activist movement from 1973 on, although I give some background, you know, I was, I'm, I'm an older guy. So, I learned that you're 89 <laughs> years old. So I, 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 I remember the Lindbergh kidnapping and how I got so upset by the fact that a, a child was taken and of course died. If they found the baby buried just uh, near the property and I had little brothers and sisters and I was, you know, a little brother and a little sister and I felt I had to protect them. The children were used to make money. They were taken away, and you had to give them money and get them back. And so that caused me, I think, to have a special interest in children, in little kids. And uh, I think that kicked in with Roe v. Wade when I saw that little kids were going to be killed. Now, for, for listeners, mm-hmm. Joe told me he was born in 1927, which is shocking to me. Uh, my mom was born in 1920, so oh. uh, it's right up there. Uh, but the other date that's so significant here is 1973. So between 1927 and 1973, uh, Joe, you're mentioning that you've developed a special heart for children. Yes, I did. And I think that's partly it. But I, I also studied, um, I was in a seminary for eight years. I was a Benedictine monk for a while in St. Minor, Indiana. Uh, I went all the way to the priesthood and then decided that was not my calling, and uh, I went uh, and taught at Notre Dame. You know, it's interesting when you say that, and and I don't want to take too much time because the story is so fascinating. It would seem that the activism that you're involved in is somewhat the opposite of being a Benedictine monk. It is, yes, right. Benedictine is a contemplative order, basically, although they're a very active order, too. But uh, I was in in the monastery, uh, pretty much confined. You didn't go anywhere. Speak of, you stayed, you got up at uh, 3.30 in the morning, you said matins and lauds, mm-hmm. and you stayed all day, you prayed, you went in for a prime, tears, sex, known, compline, vespers, so on, and uh, it was a prayerful life. But I did feel uh, called to activism, and that's one reason I went back uh, to the diocese and, and studied another year and worked in a parish for a year. Well, now, part but, of the Benedictine uh, routine is prayer. right. And so, and you have actually incorporated that into your ministry as well, I believe. Yes, uh, our motto is ora et labora, to pray and to work. Mm-hmm. You do both. Like this morning, I've been to Mass and, uh, you know, with, with my wife, and we always go to Mass every morning, and then uh, I say a rosary and uh, try to do some spiritual reading and that sort of thing. That's very important to keep up your activism. You need a basis of prayer, of closeness with Christ. And um, so that's that's part of it. And that's in the book, too, 
quite a bit of, of the spiritual aspect of abortion is in my memoirs, uh, Racketeer for Life, but also the activism, the people I've met, meetings with Reagan and Hope John Paul II and, and so on, Mother Teresa. I remember one time uh, she was giving a talk and nobody could see her because she's so short. So I had a box of my books called Closed, and I pushed the books over uh, by the podium and she stood up on the box and uh, everybody cheered because they could <laughs> see her now. And I tell people now she's going to be uh, canonized on uh, September 2nd. They'll have secondhand relics of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I want to talk more about this book. The title is? Racketeer for Life. Why did you choose that title? Well, because, uh, you know, I was charged with racketeering. That was the charge that now leveled against me. And I, I was found guilty. Well, let's, let's go back for our listeners. You were charged when and in what case? In uh, 1986, the National Organization for Women charged me actually with interfering with interstate commerce. We were cutting down on their business by talking women out of abortion, by talking doctors out of doing abortions. And so they charged me with uh, that, with interfering with interstate commerce, uh, violating the Sherman Clayton antitrust laws. That went nowhere. Within a year, that was over with. And so they amended it to racketeering, which means that I was, uh, I was costing them money. Now, basically, racketeering, uh, is, you make money. The racketeer makes money. He's, he's the man in the background who has somebody, an intermediary, actually committing crimes, but he profits from it. So your crime would be to take take women, talk with them, and, and keep them get, from getting an abortion. Yes, but what the abortionists tried to do was make us look violent. And there was violence going on. There were abortion clinics being burned and bombed. There were some shootings of abortionists. We had nothing to do with any of that, but that's basically what they were trying to pin on us. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker of the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're speaking with Joe Scheidler, National Director of the Pro-Life Action League. This is very interesting. So what is your position then? You're an activist. What's your position on the violence that was taking place there? Violence never works. Violence is wrong. I mean, the abortionists commit violence. They cut a baby up and pull out the parts. But uh, for us to do violence is really going against our basic uh, uh belief in the value of every human life. Uh, it's true, I would never compare a, a, a clinic dam being damaged to what they do to a baby killed. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't condemn, I would always say, I'll make a condition. I'll condemn the violence against you when you condemn the violence against the unborn child and against the woman. And so they would say, well, look, he doesn't condemn violence. I made him a deal, they wouldn't accept it. So uh, I, I do, did know some of the people that committed the violence, and, and uh, we didn't know they did it until it was over, but I have visited some of them. I visited Don Benny Anderson in prison in, in Wisconsin. Uh, he had bombed some clinics. He had kidnapped a couple of abortionists, abortionists and his wife, uh, out in St. Louis. And so um, this was going on, and we knew about it, but we were totally against violence, and I made that very clear in my book, but I do have to record what happened. It's all part of the movement that uh, some people went overboard. Right, right. Tell me, tell me more. Now, how, okay, in 1986, you're sued by now. Originally, it was 
now versus Scheidler, um, by 19, or I'm sorry, by 2015, it's Scheidler versus now. Tell me that, that transition over what, 39 years? Yeah, or, it's a, it's a or long time. 29 years is it? 34 years, whatever. It, it's a long time. But uh, what we did, well, 43 years is it, how long? Uh, the case didn't last that. It started in 1986. 86, right. So people can figure that out. And uh, the thing was, we lost. The, the we won the antitrust thing. They then they amended it to racketeering. We lost in the court. Um, we appealed to the United States Supreme Court, and we won. Well, I have to stop you. You also appealed the Seventh Circuit, I believe, first. Oh, and, yeah, well, and yeah. lost there. Right. Well, you go the whole route right. the Seventh Circuit, and because this was a federal case, and uh, when it got to the Supreme Court, they ruled eight to one with Justice Powell uh, dissenting of eight to one that we were not guilty of racketeering. Then it came back down and the appellate court wouldn't accept it. They said that the four four uh, predicate acts had been omitted by the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court doesn't like that when you tell them that they didn't do a good job. So we had to appeal again, go up the ranks to the Supreme Court, and they ruled this time unanimously. It was eight to zero because uh, one of the justices hadn't been in long enough to, to have heard the case. But it was eight to nothing that we were not guilty of racketeering with a very strong um, suggestion to the appellate court and on down that this was the final ruling. So, so wouldn't that be the final ruling then? It was. And then you did go back down though. We, we came back down, we had won, but then now we had to go get the damages. And it was only $86,000, but we did get that just last year. And that was 2015 then? 2015. So 1986 to 2015, you've been involved in litigation. Right. Now, my understanding is that uh, they even had your house online for the judgment. Is that correct? Well, what happened? Yes. they uh, they We had to come up with $250,000 as a, a bond. And we didn't have that kind of money. And so the the first time they leveled that, we were able to come up with seventy thousand, and that held them off for a while. But then we had to have the two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and so we had our house appraised, and it came to about that amount. And so we went to Judge Core, and he said that was okay; hmm. we could use the house. So the house was in escrow; it was really their house. It belonged to the National Organization for Women. Uh, but we were living there, and we didn't have to move out. Joe, we appreciate you coming on today. Uh, how can people learn more about your ministry? Well, you know, they can go to prolifeaction.org, or they can call our office. We love to talk to people. Let me give you the number. Please do. 773-777-2900. And we need help. Because, Why don't you say that one more time for okay. Our, Seven seven three Chicago area code seven 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 twenty nine hundred. And Joe may not say it, but I will say it on behalf of the organization. Uh, donations are always appreciated. Oh boy, especially <laughs> now you know there's so many new groups and they're yeah. great. Yeah. Dave Delighton, Dave B. Wright, uh, Lila Rose, son. But we need to stay in the business. Thank you, Joe, for coming on. If you have any legal needs or questions, feel free to call us at Malk and Baker. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R dot com. Thank you for listening today, and a special thanks to 
89-year-old Joe Scheidler <laughs> for all his work. 2,900 is our number. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve some.